Welcome to the Compass Podcast, featuring Chris Shandro and the Compass team. We hope this message is just for you. Well, hey, welcome back. I'm Chris. I'm the pastor at Compass. Again, as always, I'm just delighted to have you with me today. Now, did you ever think about how many mascots we have in our everyday lives? Because it's a lot. If you think about it, we're surrounded by them. Our cereal has mascots. You got Captain Crunch, Tony the Tiger, Count Chocula. Uh, Mr. Clean is a mascot for cleaning supplies. Chick-fil-A has a cow mascot that literally advocates the murder of chickens so that he can save his own life. I mean, we buy insurance from the Geico Gecko and the Aflac Duck. Mascots everywhere. Now, a good mascot is designed to tell you something about the products and brands that they stand for. They represent either a sports team or an organization just by being what they are. I mean, even the United States of America has a mascot, the bald eagle. When you see an eagle flying in the sky, it embodies freedom, power, and strength. But while a great mascot communicates something about what it represents, not all mascots are good. I mean, there are some really bad ones out there. Take the Stanford tree. Now, this guy started out as the mascot of the university marching band, but it has somehow become the unofficial mascot of the school. And it's terrible. I mean, this thing neither strikes fear in the hearts of its opponents, nor does it say anything about Stanford as a school. It's just a weird-looking tree. And speaking of striking fear, this is King Cake Baby from the New Orleans Pelicans. And let me just go into all the reasons why this is a bad mascot. First of all, it's not a pelican. It's a huge, creepy baby. And while it's definitely scary to the opposing team, I mean, let's be honest, it's also terrifying to anyone who sees it. And for the life of me, I cannot tell what a giant baby pulled out of a horror movie has to do with a bird-themed basketball team. Maybe it's just me. Now, I bring up mascots because in Matthew chapter 13, Jesus is describing the kingdom of God to people, what it looks like, how it functions in our lives, and, and what it says about God's character and his personality, his nature. But if the goal of Jesus is to inspire people with the strength and power of God's kingdom, I personally think he missed the mark. I mean, look at this in Matthew 13, 31. Here's another illustration Jesus used. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed planted in a field. It's the smallest of all seeds, but it becomes the largest of garden plants. It grows into a tree, and birds come and make nests in its branches. Now, where Jesus was, Rome had conquered almost all of the ancient Mediterranean world, including the land of Israel. Rome was the national power, and Caesar was their lord and king. He was in charge. And just like America, this is interesting, the Roman mascot was an eagle. It represented their absolute power to go wherever they wanted and take whatever they wanted. Now, when Jesus described another kingdom, the kingdom of God, he was taking the dangerous step of acknowledging someone else's king rather than Caesar. Now, you'd think that if Jesus was going to challenge Rome, that he would use an illustration that could capture the hearts and minds of the people who had been crushed under Roman boots. He would say something like, the kingdom of God is like a lion 
that snatches birds out of the air with its mighty claws. Or the kingdom of God is like a pillar of flame devouring all of its enemies in its path. But no. Jesus says the kingdom of God is like a little tiny mustard seed planted in a garden that eventually becomes a good-sized bush. Now, that's not the mascot I would have chosen. But Jesus continues in Matthew 13, 33. Uh, in my translation, it says, The kingdom of heaven is like a giant wave of the sea that crashes down on its enemies, dashing them against the rocks and lifting up the faithful on a tide of righteousness. Okay, wait, hold on. That's, that's not actually it. This is, this is what Jesus actually said in verse 33. Jesus also used this illustration. The kingdom of heaven is like the yeast of a woman, or the yeast a woman used in making bread. Even though she put only a little yeast in three measures of flour, it permeated every part of the dough. So again, taking a really hard pivot away from language that evokes power and strength, Jesus instead describes the kingdom of God as, you know, it's like when a woman's in the kitchen making bread, and then she adds yeast that eventually spreads throughout the entire batch of dough. Yeah, that's what it is. Now, neither of these illustrations, mustard seed or yeast in the dough, are terribly inspiring. I mean, think about it. Jesus could be introducing the mascot of the kingdom of God as the angel Gabriel with a flaming sword. And instead, he's like, hey guys, uh, our kingdom mascot is Yeasty the dough ball and his sidekick, Grainy the mustard seed. On the surface, and for Jesus' listeners, these are bad mascots. There would have been a lot of people who didn't understand this vision that Jesus had for the kingdom of God. But if we take a moment and look past the bad mascots into the stories that he tells, there are some things that we can learn about Jesus and his kingdom vision. And the first thing we can learn is this, that the kingdom of God starts small in unexpected ways. So when Jesus used illustrations like mustard seed and yeast to describe the kingdom of God, it was not what the people expected. Again, they were looking for Jesus to explain how God was going to show up in a display of power, how he was going to forcibly remove Rome and take his seat on the throne of Israel as a literal ruling king. But instead, Jesus was like, that's not how God works. God works like a tiny seed that's planted underground, totally imperceptible until over time, it breaks through the soil and gradually grows into its full size. Because God's kingdom, it starts small. Now, this is not what people expect even today. I mean, when, when God's kingdom shows up, we expect the sky to open up and for the clouds to part and for a sunbeam to blast down on us as God reveals everything to us in a moment. But Jesus says that the kingdom is like a little bit of yeast that spreads through a bunch of dough. You can't even see it happening. Now, here's the thing. If you've ever felt discouraged because you couldn't feel or experience God moving in your life the way you expected, you can take comfort in this because in the same way that a seed grows beneath the ground and in the same way that yeast reproduces at a cellular level in a way we can't see in dough, the kingdom of God is at work. It just starts small 
and happens in unexpected ways. And that's okay, because our second takeaway today is that the kingdom of God is for the good of everyone. Take a look at Matthew 13, 31 through 32. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed planted in a field. It is the smallest of all seeds, but it becomes the largest of garden plants. Okay, so we were taking a second look at this verse. And here's the thing. The truth is that while certain mustard plants can grow into trees that are up to 30 feet tall, the mustard plants that were found in Palestine are really just big bushes. I mean, they can get big, but I mean, they're not like, they're not redwood trees. Now, it would be easy for us to just take a surface look at this story and think that the purpose is to show us how huge the kingdom of God gets, even though it starts small. But I don't think that's exactly what Jesus is saying. Take a look at it again, Matthew 13, 31 through 32. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed planted in a field. It is the smallest of all seeds, but it becomes the largest of garden plants. It grows into a tree and birds come and make nests in its branches. So what does the kingdom do? It starts small and it grows. But why? It does it so birds can come and make nests in its branches. And what does that mean? It means this. It means in the same way that God provides for the birds of the air, that the kingdom of God is designed to make a difference in people's lives. God's kingdom is designed for the hope and flourishing of all mankind, just like a tree provides a place for birds to nest. I mean, look at the doe parable here in Matthew 13, 33. The kingdom of heaven is like the yeast a woman used in making bread. Even though she put only a little yeast in three measures of flour, it permeated every part of the dough. Okay, so again, a second look at this. And we, we find this woman in her kitchen. She puts a little yeast into three measures of flour. Now, it could be easy for us to miss how much three measures actually is. But three measures of flour would make 60 pounds of bread. That's like 60 full loaves of bread. Now, I don't know about you, but if I was just making bread in my kitchen, I'm not making anywhere near 60 pounds. Why did she make so much? What's the point of that? Well, the point that Jesus is making is this, is that the kingdom of God is for everyone and it provides enough for all who are in need. God's kingdom may start small, but in the end, it's always for the good of all people. Which is cool because it tells us a lot about who God is. He's not some distant deity seeking glory from his creation. Rather, he's a loving father who's content to work quietly behind the scenes for the good of the people that he loves so much. He doesn't need some fancy mascot to demonstrate how great he is to the world. I mean, God is perfectly fine with yeasty the dough ball because he's gentle and he's humble. I mean, look at Jesus's own words in Matthew eleven twenty nine. Jesus said, come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, let me teach you, because I am humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you is light. The goal of God's kingdom is not for him to show off his might, 
but for him to give us rest for our souls. His kingdom is not found in big displays of power or wealth, but in the quiet, unseen growth of a seed in the soil. His kingdom expands not through our big, beautiful, fancy church buildings, but in the hearts and lives of those who've accepted him as Lord. Now, there are those who think that the kingdom of God is found by adhering to strict moral codes of right and wrong. That the kingdom is something we advance by taking a stand for what we think is righteous. And when we do that, we assume that our mascot must be like a knight wrapped in God's armor, standing against the forces of darkness in our culture and advancing against them with his sword and shield. It, as if it's a kingdom where we create our own Christian schools and sports leagues and entertainment and culture as a way of building a moat to defend ourselves, while at the same time we bring the battle to the heathens outside our door. But that's not the kingdom. Some others think that the kingdom of God is found by building the church into a powerful corporate organization that can compete with other churches and businesses for people's attention. As if attracting people with our, our light shows, our coffee bars, and multi-million dollar church facilities, like attracting moths to porch lights, as if that will be enough to draw them to God. And when we believe that, we assume that our mascot must be a social media influencer of a pastor whose clothes and kids and house and life all look perfect enough to convince people that if they just join up with this kingdom, their life will look just like that. But that's not the kingdom either. Still others think the kingdom of God is found by just burning it all down. That if we can just scream loud enough at all of the ways that the church of Jesus has failed us and failed the world, that we can somehow purify it. And when we do that, our mascot is a flamethrower that just burns everything to the ground in an explosion of flame that everyone can see in the hope that we can maybe find something to rebuild out of the ashes. But that's also not the kingdom. The kingdom is a seed. It is God present and at work in the simplest and most mundane aspects of life, working behind the scenes to produce a surprising amount of good things for the good of many. The kingdom is the unexpected and sometimes imperceptible ways in which he expresses and works out his love for us. And it is the way in which we quiet our souls before him and find rest. The kingdom is life, growth, humility, and peace. All things that only God can bring. And all things that we can expect when we live like Jesus lived. Think like he thought and do what he taught. May we discover this unexpected kingdom at work in every corner of our lives when we search for it as it is. And when we submit our lives to his lordship, to his rule and reign. May his kingdom come and his will be done in our lives on earth as it is in heaven. I'll see you next time. Thank you for joining us at Compass. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. If you have any questions about Compass or this message, contact us at our website, www.compassbn.com.